0: Welcome to episode 587 with uh, my return guest, Mike Schmidt. Um, Mike lost his mom about a month ago, and uh, we were talking, and he was telling me all these great stories about his mom, and she was a very complicated woman, but um, he uh, was kind enough to come by and talk about his relationship with her and to remember the great things about her she was a very very fierce woman i think that's the best word uh, to to describe her fierce and and complex and Yeah, I think you uh, guys are going to enjoy it. Hey, maybe I should introduce myself. My name is Paul Gilmart, and this here is my podcast called The Mental Illness Happy Hour. I mean, why would somebody need to know the name of the podcast after they've already clicked on it? Because I'm an old fuck, and uh, those are remnants from uh, when people used to listen to radio. Oh, sweet God. I'm going down the rabbit hole already. I was at one of my... uh, oh. want to also mention i'm not a therapist Uh, it's probably clear from the first 15 seconds of the of the podcast um one of my support groups this week the topic came up of what part of yourself are you holding on to that you need to let go of and how does it affect your life and immediately my first thought was fear i have certain fears that just plague me uh the fear of expanding my life and opening myself up to criticism or rejection, Uh, the fear of asking for help, the fear of making mistakes and having to look back and go, well, I wasted my time, which intellectually I know is not true. Uh, But I decide to uh, not take risks, (laughs) instead numb myself with video games. That's not completely true, but... And arrogance, I think, is the other one. And some of you that are regular regular listeners may be going, "No, you you are not arrogant. If anything, you you have low self esteem." Well, I think they're closely tied. I think closely tied together. I think those of us that have kind of a uh, an arrogant streak going through us, I think it's because we have low self esteem, and it's a way to try to compensate. Um, some of the ways that I can be arrogant is that I think that I can cut corners where the average person shouldn't because, you know, I got it all figured out. Um, You know, a lot of times like when I pray or meditate or do yoga, I'll be like, eh, no, 30 seconds is enough (laughs) because I want to get to my coffee. And um, I think deep down there's also a belief because I do believe in a higher power. But Where my arrogance presents itself is I think that my higher power doesn't really get me. That my higher power thinks that I love broccoli and doesn't know that I really love pizza. And that if I truly surrender the parts of my life that need surrendering, I won't enjoy myself. Because God just doesn't get me. I don't know if any (laughs) of you relate to that. And the other thing my friend shared at this uh, support group, and I wish... She doesn't know who the author of this was so maybe you guys will uh will know but it's a list of 10 painful truths and uh first one the average human life is relatively short number two you only ever live the life you create for yourself number three being busy does not mean being productive number four some kind of failure always occurs before success five Thinking and doing are two very different things. Six, you don't have to wait for an apology to forgive. Seven, some people are simply the wrong match for you. Eight, it's not other people's job to love you, it's yours. Nine, what you own is not who you are. And ten, everything changes every second. Love that. Love that we are sponsored this week as always by better help online therapy um, you know stress is is something that I, I i think for most people is always there in some level some, for for some people it's kind of just a low lying hum for other people it's it you know it's a knee shaking debu- debilitating uh thing that we battle every day and for me i can't deal with my stress if i don't understand what the fuck it is that i'm stressed over and that's where going to therapy really helps me i've been using BetterHelp for uh online therapy for years now and uh my therapist heidi really helps me understand um kind of the the cognitive dissonance that goes on in my brain, the the lies that I tell myself versus what the facts in the ground are. In the ground? I bury bury my facts six feet under. I have a little funeral for the the facts of my life. But anyway, BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy. So give it a try and see if online therapy can help lower your stress. And you guys, Mental Illness Happy Hour listeners, get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com mental. And make sure you include the slash mental part. That's betterhel dot slash mental. This episode is sponsored by Cerebral. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment free space. And I can recommend uh, Cerebral. I have uh, been doing sessions with uh, my therapist, Megan. And she's intelligent, compassionate. Um, this last week, I had therapy with her, and she helped me prioritize uh, the things that I've been stressing out about. She helped me clarify things from a state of vagueness to what are some actionable things that, uh, that I can do. And, uh, and I felt a sense of relief. All cerebral clinicians are vetted, credentialed, and trained to help you feel better. They stay up to date on the latest studies and breakthroughs so they can provide quality care that's based on rigorous research. To get started on your path towards better mental health, Cerebral is giving you guys 15% off your first month of online therapy, medication, or both. Get started at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use the code mental. That's Cerebral, C-E-R-E-B-R-A-L.com slash podcast, and don't forget to use the code mental to get 15% off your first month. Make 2024 your best year yet. And then finally, we have a happy moment filled out by Silly Space Lum. And she writes, I've been obsessed with space since I was little and was lucky enough to study astronomy for a while at school. The first time I learned the shape of a constellation and then went out and actually spotted it in the night sky, I felt a shocking cold lightning bolt go through me. All the alien, gigantic wonder of the sky hit me all at once, and I was overwhelmed with awe and fear. I relive this magical moment once a year when I first see the constellation of Orion. It's my favorite constellation, large and striking in shape with lots of interesting features. His left shoulder is a giant, is a red giant, and there's a nebula under his belt. And in parentheses, how many guys can say that? Question mark. Due to its position in the sky, it isn't visible all year round. From the UK, it's only possible to see it in the winter, so I tend to forget all about it over the summer. From around November onwards, it starts to appear very late in the night, so I normally first spot it at maybe 2 or 3 a.m. Because he comes out so late, I'm usually walking home from some event, probably a little drunk or stoned and listening to music. The best part is I'm never expecting it. I'll just be vibing and enjoying my journey home. When I happen to look up and spot him in the sky, I get hit by that cold rush of excitement all over again, along with a warm feeling like I'm greeting an ancient mystic friend after his six-month slumber. I always smile and relish this moment. It stops me in my tracks and pulls me right into the present. It's a nice cozy reminder that winter is on its way and fills me with gratitude for how big and spooky space can be. Your fear of death is your love of life in reverse. Risking being hurt Push it all down You can't go around it Ireland, like we don't do mental health talk Through is the only path No one is ever alone There's somebody else out there Don't forget Experiencing the same thing as you But the places you feel most broken now
1: You just gotta look for them
0: Will one day be your greatest strength
1: And when you find them, it's a great feeling
0: And I'm suddenly feeling horrible about (laughs) making that joke But that's how far I will go to get a laugh Because I am empty inside
1: you're in the right place.
0: I am here with my uh, my buddy Mike Schmidt, uh, who was a guest years ago. Yes, on the podcast. And uh, one of my favorite parts of that episode was uh, you sharing a story about your mom. And sadly, your mom passed away about what a week ago, two weeks ago.
1: Yeah, about a month ago in in uh, yeah in Florida. Yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> and um, you you. You've talked a bit about your your
0: mom in the in the past, and your relationship with
1: your dad was very kind of complicated, uh, bordering on non-existent. Yeah, he non-existent. Was, he, was a, he was a monster. I found out later he was a monster. You know, after uh, I took his, his death hard, and then after I remember, like five years later, I looked at my mom and I'm like, "Was Dad a monster?" She said, "Oh yeah, He's a terrible." How old person. were you when he died? <laughs> he died the day before my 13th birthday. He couldn't wait a day. Uh, he tried, certainly held out. But, you know, <laughs> vodka doesn't wait. As we, That's a phrase they use in Eastern Bloc. <laughs> um, the, the weird, again, I'll tell this story because why not. He, one of the reasons I had such a problem with my dad, and still do now, uh, he, he used to call. He was a drunk, notoriously bad. And he would call and he would bore us to tears. He would, you know, we were, there was a divorce, real domestic violence, bad era, bad situation. But my mom still thought we should have some sort of relationship with his side of the family. I didn't care. So he would call. Uh, he called me for my birthday. When did he move out? Uh, it was he was in and out a bunch. Like mm-hmm. I mean, I, I was I was born. They, she left him finally bailed in seventy six, nineteen seventy. So I was I was not yet seven. Mm-hmm. Um, or no, not, not, yet, not yet nine. I apologize. Not yet nine. I was eight years old, and she took all five of us. You know, we had f- mm-hmm. my mom and five boys split, and uh, and we lived in cars. We were homeless. This is a true story. <laughs> We lived in a house owned by my, my father's family. And when she divorced my dad, they evicted us. They evicted my mom and her five kids.
0: Also known as the bunch of ungrates.
1: <laughs> you know, what were we what were we thinking? Try to survive. Yeah. So uh, literally my grandparents, and I, I, I was brought to court where I was going to have to testify against them. And it, was like, it wound up getting thrown out of court because even the judge said, you yeah, know, this is unheard of. And no, you know, he... he because there was they were trying to get back rent for my mom or some nonsense again, I was mm-hmm. nine, Didn't so he write. came from good stock. <laughs> they were good people they you know they they him until he died, so yeah, um, and were you able to move back into the house? No, 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 we split, like I said, we lived in houses we lived in cars well, what did the judge decide then uh we we got evicted, but they wanted back rent and they oh that so it was just about yeah, they sued them and and they, I got was, you,
0: yeah. Um, and victoriously, you went to your car.
1: Of course, yeah. We, we we lived in a station wagon for a while. We lived in people's basements. We mm-hmm. lived in a, in a holiday inn for a while. We lived in the Tanger's Motel in Cicero. I think it was in Cicero. Um, yeah, so we, we floated around, and then my family kind of rallied, or my mom's family mm-hmm. rallied around to help her. But anyway, so my dad would call, and he would be drunk. And finally, my brother, my older brother, got tired of it. He'd give me the phone. He'd be like, look, you know, talk to him. And I was the one I would... I wanted my dad. So I would listen to him. He would talk, and I would sit there for two, an hour and a half as he babbled uh, drunkenly. Uh, um, because I was just, you know, again, in my mind, it was this thing where I was like, hey, these, this is my time with dad. I've, I To me alone, you know, he cares, and I care. So he called uh, a couple days before my 13th birthday, and he, he thought it was my birthday. That's all, he was loaded. And um, my friend Mark was at the house, and we were going to go out to play baseball. And I took the call, and... It was the it was the call where I made fun of my dad. I finally was like, ah, oh. I held the phone away from my head and I was like rolling my eyes, like whatever. And I'd tell my friend, he's drunk. He does this all the time. And put put the phone down and walked away, laughing. Ha ha ha. Came back, still talking, whatever. And then you know, two days later, he's dead. <laughs> I'm like, so when you're, you're that doesn't 13, complicate things. And in a 13 year old soul, and you take it with you forever. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and even now, knowing how bad a person he was and what a monster he was. I'm still mad or disappointed in myself or angry or, right. or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm sure some person with a tablet and a pencil would tell you is, is is it's still it's still inside me. You know, you try to get rid of it, yeah. but you can't.
0: Uh, and you had witnessed him abusing your mom. Or yeah. no?
1: No, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He uh, uh, he had her in a hammer lock one time, trying to break her arm. Said he was going to break her arm, and uh, it was. I've some her and hit her, and uh, he was. We went running down the street for help banging on neighbors' doors and stuff, and just trying to get anybody to call the police or get help. Um, he, uh, he would get drunk in bars, and then he would get in fights. And, and then he would come home you know, with you know, and my dad was a big man. He was, you know, 6'4", and, and you know, whatever, 240. Um, but he would get drunk, and then he would go out in the alley, and the guy would have five friends. And then my dad would get fucking stomped. He came home one time, you know, shit in his pants, broken ribs. And, and my mom bathed him, cleaned him up. And we saw him. We saw what he looked like and stuff. And But I mean, I saw him drunk, get up. <laughs> I saw him do it. I was weird. I was sleeping in the living room. And he got up in the middle of the night. And he walked in the living room and, was, and just pissed in the corner like it was a urinal, just pissed in the living room on the floor and went back to bed. <laughs> it was, he was just so out of it drunk and loaded all the goddamn time. So. So, yeah, he was very violent and a very abusive guy. Okay. Um, and so, clearly your mom had... I feel, br- I feel strange. Like, I'm shoving in anecdotes to prove how bad it was. No, like, oh, no, and then this no, happened. No, oh, no, guess no. what?
0: No, I, I I wanted to set the stage a little bit um, so that we could understand the, the kind of the context of who your mom was, what her life was like. Um, to me, the... Um, from the stories that you've told me about your mom, um, she was somebody who had a switch that would flip uh, in her and she would get violent or whatever you want to call it uh, confrontational is that is that a fair assessment? give me give me some snapshots of of well, your mom
1: My mom was uh, I used to call I just said she's a tooth chipper. That was the way I would describe her to people. She was, she was like a really fucking angry R2-D2 because she was only like five, five feet one, five feet two, but she was a brawler. Um, you know, I only recently, and I would talk to her, and as she got older, she would start to tell stories of her youth. And uh, she was a tomboy, but also she was a, she was a bully. You know, she, she probably wouldn't portray it like that, but she would beat up boys, you know, and, and tie a kid to a tree. And beat him up, and left him there. Went home. You know that that kind mm-hmm. of thing. She just, she, I I've thought of many words, and they'll they'll all tumble out. I'm sure. But she was hard scrabble, uh, and it's funny because she lived in. A, she had three siblings. Um, Mike and Margaret were the twins. My mom was the youngest, and then Eric was her other brother. My uncle Pudge, and you know you would meet them, and they were Chicago. And my aunt Marge was the sweetest. Just like if a tutu was a person, that's my aunt Marge. I and mean, she was lovely. <laughs> Um, And it always made me laugh that my mom was their sibling because my mom was uh, really—she was just tough. I mean, you know, I I can't—and I don't say it in a mean way. I don't say it in—you know, she—look, did she do the best she could? Absolutely. She did everything she absolutely could. But the bravery that she showed and the strength in 1976 to take five kids— and not know what she was going to do or where she was going to go with no job, but knew she had to leave because if not, my dad would have killed her or hurt one of us. That's always going to be in her ledger, no matter what, you know. But but she had, you know, and I've done a lot of thinking on this in the past. I just started going to therapy like seven years ago, uh, stopped during the pandemic, which was a smart move. Uh, <laughs> 'Cause I foolishly decided, well, look, if I'm not in the room, it's not gonna work. I mean, Zoom, what am I gonna learn from that? Even though for five years I had learned nothing anyway. I'd learned everything, but just never implemented anything. I'm a mess right. anyway. Um but I've I've done thinking about where I came from and how I am and how my family is and why and, and you know, you do those things as you get older, you start to unpeel the onion and you know, maybe you don't love everything you see. Um but there is underlying respect for everything that my mom did to keep us together. It's that it's that thing where you're like, well, yeah, we were kept together on one, under one roof because the the state kept trying to send us to foster homes and all this, and my mom aggressively fought hard to keep us. And then you look back and go, ah, that's amazing. It's incredible that she did that. But you know, there were flaws and things that could have been different. You know, and you, you, it's weird to look at that.
0: What do you think? Um... Were the forces that kind of created your mom's personality? Given that her siblings were markedly
1: her mom. different. <laughs> talk about talk about that. Her mom. Uh, <clears throat> I love my grandma. I did. I thought she was just. She, but she was Irish. Irish, like second generation. Like you know, her, she was born of someone who came across. And wait, so. what weight class did she fight? Uh, she was. You know what? Just like my mom. A little lighter, actually. A little yeah. lighter weight class. But, but I mean, I. She was never anything to us but grandma, and she was awesome. Uh, but my mom, I, I knew my mom had a complicated relationship with her family and with them. With, I think, you know, you, you, start, you start to learn things as you get older. Like, my mom probably needed some sort of medication. And it's funny to say that because you would go to my mom's house, and she would literally have 70 pill bottles in what we would call her medicine cabinet, but it was a normal-sized cabinet that people would keep books in. Mm-hmm. For my mom, it was filled with every cylinder you could possibly imagine, in addition to volumes and whatever the fuck else. But, I mean, she could have probably used some, I don't know, some... The, Psych
0: meds? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was she...
1: She was a and, brooder. And was she an addict? No. Um, I mean, she smoked weed forever, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, I saw... My mom ran very complicated... Um, my mom ran with a real tough crowd when we were kids. You know, she fell in with some people. I mean, I saw my mom do coke. You know, she did coke in the house when we were there with her friends. Um, there, there are chapters I remember, and, I, and I'm shocked by them when I remember them. There was When we lived in Chicago with my dad and my mom in my, my grandma's and, and grandpa's house, for some reason, there were three teenagers who lived in my basement. Maggie and, and Jano was this Polish guy. And Sue. And I don't know if my parents were fucking them or if they were all part of some free love experiment. I don't even know. But they were essentially living babysitters who would drink and do fucking drugs and stuff. And, and like, they yeah. were
0: high school age
1: or? No, out they of were school. probably 19, 20. I mean, again, gotcha. I was, I don't know. I'm 18. <clears throat> you know what I mean? Right. And I had an... A, an a strange level of love for them because I was craving any sort of affection from anybody because the house was such a battleground all the time. And they would be nice to us. Like I can remember sitting with Maggie on the couch and her just like stroking my hair and me thinking, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened in my life. You know, I just, I just wanted anybody, somebody to and gentleness, be, to and which is funny because I was just having a conversation with a friend. I, I hate gentle and I know that's my own toxic bullshit and I project it on everybody. But like, I, I hate any that gentility. I see it. It's it's this will sound bad. It's it's feminine to me, which is great when it's when it's when it's in a feminine aspect. Uh, but when a man is is gentle or uh, exceedingly uh, gives in, or you know what mm-hmm. I mean, like it doesn't argue, doesn't stand his ground, doesn't. I find it to be a complete sign of weakness, and it makes me almost physically ill to a certain extent. Okay. And it shouldn't. It absolutely should not. And I recognize that's me, mm-hmm. not the person. And so I've done a lot more with that over the years, trying to figure out what the hell to do about that. <laughs> but, uh, that but just to have somebody there who they at one time they tickled Lenny. This is so funny. My older brother Lenny, uh, Maggie and Sue. They were having a party in my house with like other young people. I didn't know who the fuck they were. They could have been again twenty, whatever. But one time, they were and they were smoking dope, whatever, and they tickled Lenny, and, and he was, like, kind of fighting it and running, and they tickled him, and he went through the wall ass-first, like those old fucking plasterboard walls, mm-hmm. and his whole impression was there, like <laughs> his whole, looked like a turtle shell body just, like, smashed into the wall, and then we were, like, trying to move a chair in front of it, you know, we're like, what are we gonna do here, man? Uh, but luckily, Maggie and Sue and Yano took the edge off, but they took all the blame, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, but I don't know, I don't even know what they were doing in that house, like, I have no clue, and then my mom... So what she'd add your, your question, I mean, certainly she, she did a lot of drugs, you know, and she would always she smoked weed up until she got lung cancer.
0: Do you remember moments of your mom being gentle and affectionate with you, or was it kind of tough love?
1: Yeah, no. She never uh, like I tell these stories, and, and you know, I went to high school for five years. I didn't, you know, I I didn't even graduate after the fifth. I just was just going to eat lunch and play gym. I didn't fucking care. Mm -hmm. And also was not really looking forward to step into life because I had nothing going on. What was I doing? Um, But like in those five total years, my mom never asked if I did my homework. And never checked it, never asked. None of it. We would steal report cards out of the mail. When she'd get one, she'd be pissed. When she didn't, whatever. We stole referrals. She worked. So she was gone from the house from... 8 a.m. till 7 p.m. And then she'd be home for a couple hours, and we would hope and pray the phone would ring because she had an overnight boyfriend. It was Bob. And if the phone would ring at 10, and my, I would be like, yes. Because then my mom would go to Bob's and spend the night, and we would stay up until 3 in the morning watching the new treasure hunt and Letterman and eating all the food in the cabinets, and I didn't care, you know. So, but as far as affection, no, my mom never asked about my homework. I, I, this is, this will sound weird. Like, other than. Well, the day the day my father died, uh, after I took after I found out he died, and I found all right. I'll just I apologize that I'm hijacking. I know we're talking about my mom, but yeah. um you know, like I said, it was it was. Uh, the day before my birthday, and I was outside again. I was playing with my buddies, Ron and Mark, and Lenny screamed out the window. He's like, Mike, you gotta come in. Mike, you gotta come in. So I came in the house, and and he's like, You gotta stay in the house. I go, Look, I'm like, my chores are done. I'm going out. He's like, No, no, you gotta stay in. Stay in. You have to. And he's, and he's got the phone in his hand, and I go, Look, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm going outside. Mom said I could go out. My stuff's done. Everything's done. And he goes, Dad's dead. Stay down. You gotta stay in the house. And I didn't, I didn't even know what, I was like, what? And he goes. Dad's dead. Stay here. So I left, and I went with my friends, and we went out, and we went to like I went to White Hen because there was a girl I knew there. We would hang out at White Hen, and uh, which is and a I, convenience store. Yeah, in Chicago. exactly, exactly. It's like Seven Eleven, and um, and we were all talking, and I was I was saying it like it was yeah my dad died today you know and they were all looking at me fucking weird but to me whatever I I, I was just like kind of I guess in shock whatever you want to call it. So then we were playing baseball like three hours later, and my mom pulls up. I can see her, and she's screaming. She's like, get in the car. And I get in the car, and she's crying and yelling, and we get in the house, and she's like, and she, grabbed, she had to grab me. She had to physically grab me. And, she, and your father is dead. Your father is dead. And I then I just started crying, and then she hugged me. And I don't remember any, any other real hugs <laughs> other than saying hello and goodbye when you would arrive at her house. I mean, there was no, like I see stuff kids are on a couch, like leaning against their mom or watching TV or any of that stuff. And, uh, you know, just my mom was just she was very she had to be hard all the time because she had to control five animals. Do you think she was like that before she had five boys? I don't know, man. You know, what, you know, like I said, she was very tomboyish and stuff. Uh, she, was a, she was a roughhouser when she was a kid. Um, literally fighting men, like getting it. She told me a story. Again, she started telling me all these stories. So she one time went on a boat. She had a friend who was like a model for Sears Catalogs and was like a little a Chicago young girl who was going to get into modeling. And she was really hot. So these guys, all wanted to get her on the boat. So she came with my mom and another girl. And they were like, yeah, we'll just go on the boat. So they drove out, drove out on Lake Michigan. And then they were like, all right, well, now we're going to fuck. And my mom was like, no, that's yeah, no, it's not happening. And they all. So the one girl, of course, just goes and starts crying. And, uh, and my mom immediately just slugs one of the guys, hits him. She's like, no, not happening. And then it was like literally a parody of a movie where they chase people around the boat and there's music and stuff. And my mom's just like, no, you you might as well just fucking take us home because it's never fucking, never, never. My mom fought them off and her friend was just crying, was useless. But she's like, I, you know, I was protecting her. I was protecting that and the other girl too. And and then finally they were like, enough, fine, fine. And they they went back to shore and they. uh, And that was
0: the end of the Benny Hill episode. Uh, A special, a special Benny (laughs) Hill
1: Uh, they went back to shore and they dropped her in uh Harlem in 1959 or, or 63 whatever you know some where they weren't supposed to be as three white women in the middle of the night uh your and, mom was raised in New York uh no Chicago uh y- y- oh uh
0: harlem chicago yeah yeah yeah. okay i thought yeah. you meant harlem new york no
1: no 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 oh my god it's a boat that's a boat ride let me tell you that yeah <laughs> <laughs> no chicago of course and then she went up on eh, I, I say harlem but we know it, it's you know this south, south, what a bad area but mm-hmm. and my mom said they had to walk they had no car they had no anything and she told me she a, a guy pulled up uh there was a um, african-american guy and he's like what are you doing here and my mom was like we just got there and he goes you can't be here and he literally drove them home he put them in a car and he got them home and she's like if he wasn't there i don't know what the hell would have happened but but again it just shows you my mom was like she no it's not this isn't happening punches one of the guys you know ends up been a fight on the boat everybody's chasing and my mom's just like no you might you I'll, you can do this all night and then she won that's my mom she was uh relentless when she needed to be it, it's so um
0: speaks to the complexity of human beings that then your mom would choose a man like your father, a bully.
1: Yeah. I, I, I've often wondered what, what he brought to the table. You know, he was a Navy guy. Uh, he was a truck driver, you know, just typical blue collar Chicago. Um, you know, I don't know a, a whole lot of my mom's dating life or what she went through before she met him or was did she get pregnant and then they got married or I I don't you know we didn't really explore a lot of that you know Uh, there wasn't a lot of talking about my dad once I found out he was just a bad dude you know that was because there was that uh, once he was knocked off his perch of me wondering whether I should be saddened or Mm -hmm. or worried or wondering you know because then we had a huge fallout with his side of the family and you know I almost punched my grandfather and oh Mm -hmm. (laughs) stuff was fun.
0: When so. you look at the the aspects of your life that you have trouble making peace with or the things about yourself that you don't like, you know your history of uh trying to solve things with with violence, do you ever think, "Oh, I've got my dad in me, and there's nothing I can do or I hate that part of me it comes from him i mean
1: well i or her or her yeah I, 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 I didn't think yeah, about that no i i i I am my mom's son in in but but not but i'm a a different you know my aggression is all it's me my aggression is me because i'm angry at myself for the things i haven't done um and you know you overreact uh in violently or you know like it would always be in shame or embarrassment you know Mm -hmm. like i had a bad set at a club and i punched a hole in a fucking wall you know because i'm mad at me I'm Mm -hmm. i'm i hold myself to unbelievably ridiculous standards that I will never achieve. But, but I do that almost on purpose because then I don't even have to try to achieve them. We should start a club. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I, there's, there's a lot of, of my mom in me. Um, I'm, there might be a lot of my dad, you know, my dad was a toxic fucking asshole and I chose food rather than alcohol. So I always say that I chose food as my destroyer. Um, but my mom was a brooder.
0: My mom was a fumer. Happiness um, didn't come to her naturally. No. Do you ever see her happy? Uh, when she wasn't under the influence she loved animals? Yeah um,
1: she loved when she you chose know, your dad uh, <laughs> and raised five. Yeah. Um, she, had, she, she had a cat she, cat oh she had a she, you know when I would see her kind of the facade would drop was when she had a bird. And her bird would ride on would walk around on her shoulder. She had her bird all day. She and she'd be drinking Diet Coke and watching T V and her bird would be right there on the arm of the chair and then she'd get up to leave, and the bird would hop on her shoulder and they'd walk into the kitchen together and they'd do stuff and so she could be, you know, certainly she had gentility in her, uh and, and with her grandkids too. Once mm. her grandkids came along, I think she, it was almost foreign to her that there were now children that she didn't have to scramble to protect. Mm. And she could instead just kind of love them. You see that with a
0: lot of grandparents, yeah. I, and I think on some level too, that makes um, the, the kids, her kids, or you know, the, the grandparents' um, kids, a little pissed. That the grandkids have this <laughs> no idea a little? of this other,
1: <laughs> this other side to them. No. I, I, I mentioned that she got a lot from her mom. Like, I, I just knew my grandma as my grandma. I didn't know about the, the relationship she had with my mom, but I saw it over the years later as I got older. For there, instance? there's a, Well, there's a night. This is, this is a night I'll never forget. We went to Ringling Brothers, my grandma, my mom, and us five boys, and... From the moment we got in the car, my grandma was all over my mom, belittling her, just, I mean, letting her have it. What are you doing? Why'd you turn this way? Oh my God. Why, how do you drive? What you, know? everything. I mean, climbed up her ass and never left. And we got to the circus even. And we were trying to find our seats, and I remember walking through the concourse, and my grandma going, well, I think you're going the wrong way, you know, but passive-aggressive, not not always yeah. aggressive, too. Uh, Patsy, are you sure you know what you're doing here? Because, you know, I don't want these kids to miss this. And and as kids, we were, I was almost like watching a movie, because I had never seen my mom weak and and have to deal with that, in, you know, my mom dealt with a lot of things in silence, but she never let herself get pushed around or berated. My mom always stood her fucking ground. And to see my grandma doing all of the things that, honestly, my mom would do to us. Like, she treated my mom like my mom treated us. And we were laughing. We were la- I remember we were just going, this is, this is amazing. It was, this, it was better than the circus. I couldn't believe it was happening. Um, but it was only later on that I realized how unbelievably damaging that must have been for my mom. Yeah. And also, that was her life. That wasn't one night at the circus. My grandma must have done that to her all the time. And it explained to me a lot about why my mom uh, was the way she was. And also, you know, my mom, there wasn't a lot of time for momming. When I, I don't want to sit here and play a fucking violin and like, oh, I never got hugged. My mom was working 45, 50, 60 hours a week to make sure we had food on the table, to make sure we stayed in the same house. And if she didn't check my homework, it's because she was trying to buy pork chops. You know there was a cause and effect, and, and I understand why she did what she did. I can soliloquize, make a soliloquy now about why it was wrong or bad or sad or what happened to me because mm-hmm. of it. But she kept all of us together under the same roof. Now, are we all a mess now at this age? Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's it's a real it's a real crapshoot with some of some of the guys in my family. But I mean, my mom did her best. Did your grandmother treat her other kids differently? I was never privy to any one-on-one time with my grandma and them. You know, my grandma held court when she would come to Thanksgiving or whatever. She had a loud, braying laugh. She was, And we loved her. I mean, she was just this just magnetic, like I said, Irish woman. You know, Mary mm-hmm. Anderson loved her. Um, but she could be real. Like, she, she would add this to, she'd click her tongue and stuff, mm-hmm. you know. What, you know what do you, I just don't know what you guys think you're doing you know you are like, no. oh boy um, I just,
0: I just the thought popped into my head you, you were saying that your mom was a tomboy, and I wonder if you know that that irked your grandmother and that that was a source of her trying to change her control your mom
1: you know or or it could have been my mom's response uh, to go into a defensive shell because of how she was being treated, and maybe yeah. Margaret and Mike and Eric were the favorites. You know, because I know my mom loved my dad. I never met my grandpa. I mean, I did probably when I was a baby. I couldn't, I don't remember him at all. He died of cancer. And so I don't, he wasn't in my life. He was never a part of my life. Um, Unless, like I said, when I was a baby and things like that. But I don't remember a Christmas or or a holiday Mm. with my grandpa. Just my grandma was always a presence. So maybe my mom hardened herself because Mm -hmm. she didn't like being treated like that and felt... Margaret's the pretty one, and I'm going to do this. And, I mean, there's all sorts of different ways you could act.
0: Have you ever had an emotional conversation with your mom when you were an adult to express um, positive things towards her?
1: Um, yeah. I. Uh, th- this is...
0: You know, along the, along the lines of mom, it must have been tough for you. Oh, well, yeah. she
1: we no, she knew that from the jump. We never held withheld that, even as kids, we knew. You know what I mean? We, do you
0: feel like she was touched by that sentiment? I think my mom no, or she just brush it off and punch someone.
1: <laughs> I think my mom in, internal. I think my mom just wanted our respect and and you know what I mean. And also, it, it, you truly don't think on these levels. I don't think when you're a family, you just your family it's my mom and i love her and i tell her stuff and there was no sitcom moment if that's what you mean where she was like oh, you've really moved me with this conversation <laughs> you know I mean? it was it was just this it was well known like we were you know we were a gang i i've said this before it was, we my mom and the five boys we became a unit in a way where she drilled it into us she said they're trying to take you from me and and i have to do things that you're you know you're, maybe you won't like whatever, <clears throat> but uh, but we were a, like we had a, we had a system in place where we lived in a suburb. Finally got a house, and my mom worked all day. She was a butcher, butcher's assistant at Jewel, uh, and so she would be a meat wrapper, butcher's assistant. But she'd work like nine to six, nine to seven. But also she was getting public aid. She was getting food stamps. She was getting, you know, because she needed it, mm-hmm. but she wasn't qualified for it. She wasn't supposed to get it. So there was always that aspect of we knew what we were doing was wrong and we were all in on it. We were told, you know, don't say anything to anybody. Don't tell anything to anybody. I grew up in secrecy all the time. Don't tell anybody this happened. Don't tell anybody that happened with your brothers. Don't tell mom. Don't do this. Don't do that. Um, we would have a public aid worker come visit our house and we had a plan. Close the curtains. Close the curtains. Lenny gets the door, he opens it only a little, one of us calls mom at work to come home. And and nobody said anything, you know, and go in mm-hmm. the back. So she couldn't see feral children running around in the living room, you know, just literally only open it a crack and Lenny would deal with the person and say, my mom's not home right now. She had to go to the store and you call your mom mm-hmm. and go, mom, the, the woman's here. You got to come home. So they never had a bead on. And, and we also, my mom... My mom had a feud with people in this neighborhood, and there was a woman directly across the street who would call the state and report that my mom had gone to work. So your mom loved her. Oh my, yeah. My mom could never get her hands on her, though. She she bought a, we, I told the story last time I was here. She found somebody else on the block, but if it was if she could have got her hands on Mrs. Warden, it would have been all fucking over. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so <clears throat> we were we were a unit, man. It wasn't. I wasn't one of these. We, look, I never sat and went, oh, this sucks, and oh, my God, no, Dad, and oh, this is terrible. We were all fucking nose to the grindstone trying to survive. And we were all just trying to stay together in the same place. And did that, as we got older, cracks showed. You know, Lenny was the first to explode. And I flipped couches, freaked out on my mom, and fucking got kicked out of the house. But he was—he had his own apartment when he was 17. I mean, he got he got kicked out. And then he and I, that caused us to have a rift, and we would fist fight because I was defending mom. Uh, so this runs super deep. I mean, we've, we've all had that. And now just losing her was so crazy, you know, because I, I've, heard, I've made a decision with my adult life the past, you know, whatever, 20 years, even 15. I don't do the secrets thing. I don't do the don't tell mom. Don't do this. Don't do that. Uh, if my mom would tell me something, because to the day, to the last time I spoke to her, you know, don't tell the other guy. Don't tell the boys. Don't tell anybody. I immediately call Lenny. Look, mom doesn't want me to tell you this, and and, but but also with the caveat, you can't tell mom I told you.
0: (laughs) But but there's a reason,
1: (laughs) because my mom would never speak to me again. Mm. My mom, my mom was very good for the we're done, that type of thing. Mm. Like, and I was this will this will sound like bullshit, whatever. But I mean, everybody who has a family dynamic can under can relate to this. There's not much doubt that I was my mom's favorite. I don't know why. Probably uh, made her laugh? I, well, I did make her laugh, absolutely. Although Lenny's funny.
0: Lenny's a comedian. But
1: she and Lenny had way too much Yeah, way too much baggage. Because he, he was forced into being a father at fucking 13. And she robbed him of an adolescence, you know. Because he was the oldest. Yeah. He was my dad, you know, and my older brother. So then once I got older and he kept trying to act like my dad, that's why I didn't talk to him for 12 years. <laughs> so, yeah, it's... Uh, it's a strange dynamic. But but she um she would she would literally cut you off. Like that was that thing where like if she I would, I would talk to Lenny, I go, look, you know I'm not saying that for any secrets. I go, I'm just saying it because you know mom will never speak to me again if you say that. Because mm-hmm. she would. She would not take my call, she would she was in the middle of an unfortunate feud with one of my brothers at the time of her death.
0: This is gonna sound like a stupid question, but was she a Leo?
1: <laughs> She's a cancer. <laughs> I'm a Leo. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But she was, she, one of my brothers was in the middle of a, of a thing with her and she called me, you know, we were talking, one of the last conversations we had, she's like, I can't believe he talks to me like this. I'm going to read you these texts. I go, mom, you're not going to read me these texts. I don't want to hear them. You don't understand. I mean, how would you talk to your mom like this? What would you do? And I go, well, you know, mom, you, you say stuff too. You know, I go, it's, it's, and I said, mom, do me a favor. I said, when, when we hang up, erase those texts, delete them. She goes, well, I can't believe it. Like, I, I'm going to read them. I just, I, I go, mom, if you're not, are you going to respond? She goes, no, I would never. I won't. I can't believe you would go there. I go, then delete them because you're just going to hate read them and make yourself miserable. And with the, with the unspoken thought, sentiment of, you're already miserable. You don't need this to keep you. Mi-. But that's what my mom did. My mom loved misery fuel. She was angry and bitter, and and paranoid, mm-hmm. and just. I, and I loved her, but that, that's what she was.
0: It it can be so draining to be around people who treat indignation like a drug, because you know there, there there's a saying that resentment is uh, taking the poison and waiting for the other person to die.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, she was. Uh, She didn't have friends. It's a terrible thing. She chose it and in, in sitting in Florida on her sun porch eating breakfast in, in 75 degree weather, I, I I wept for her choices. And she had a hard life. She did. And she fought the whole fucking time. But the problem was she fought when she didn't need to. When it came time to not fight, she looked for a fight. Because of the chaos. You know, I I, I have a lot of that in me. I grew up in chaos. So now I gravitate to it. I told you this. I used to when, when there would be a physical altercation anywhere near me. I mean, I would, even if I was bouncing, if I was in a club and a fight broke out, I just wanted to jump in. <laughs> I would vibrate, physically vibrate, going, "I got to get in on this shit." Why? <laughs> Why? But it lives in me. I fought it off recently. Christ, my fire's gone out. I can't. I can't even. That's a whole different conversation. But she. Her just never did, man. She wanted to fight anyone. I I went. You know how it is when you go to Florida. My mom lived in Florida. Uh, Hated it. Hated it. Only went because my stepdad wanted to go. Or did she just want that to be the case so she could have something to bitch about every time I goddamn talked to her. So one of the first time I ever went to visit, you know, and they lived in a beautiful place. Like I said, they had a sun porch. My Stepdad had a barbecue and a smoker. He'd smoke meats, and he would go fish and golf. He loved it. That was the whole point. He wanted to go. And my mom was just like, nah. She fucking hated it so much, or at least pur- purported that she did. And but the first time I ever went, uh, you know, I got there, and the next morning, the first morning I woke up, took a shower, and Dan's like, hey, buddy boy, you want to go get some breakfast down at the clubhouse? Because they had a it was a mm-hmm. I don't know how to if you've been to Florida, it's not an old folks' home. It's a full gated like community. Mm-hmm. Uh, where people have their own homes and stuff like that, and it's and the, but there's a clubhouse with all sorts of events, and uh, I was like, yeah, let's go, that's amazing, and uh, we go, hey Ma, you want to go? And she ah fuck that. <laughs> I go what? She's like, ah, I'm gonna fucking go down there and people touching my fucking food. <laughs> I go ah, we're gonna go have eggs with people in your building, I, I in this whole community. Like I let's just go. Ah, I don't want to fucking go down there and you gotta fucking talk to everybody and you sit there and you have know, everybody fucking. Why? Who's this fucking friendly here? This early in the fucking morning? All, all right, all right. And Dan goes, well, I'm gonna go, and I go, I'll go with you. And we went down there, and you know, my aunt Marge lived in the same place. Mm-hmm. She saw me, Michael, hugs me. And if you've ever been in that situation, uh, you know, I, I at the time I was only what was I? This is gotta be twelve years. I, I was forty, you know, just a little over. And and all of the all of the old people, you're just you're this shot of vitality that mm. your life has arrived you know what i mean you're somebody different that's all that matters mm-hmm. and so they all want to come up to you and they're like oh you're a big boy aren't you the feeling your muscles you know what i mean they all, they all want to have ham with you and they're just incredibly lovely and they're because they went to florida to be happy and live out the rest of their yeah. life doing the thing they wanted to do in a warm place and I, I i sat and met people for two hours everyone came to me to talk to you oh your pat son you know yeah where's she today and you're like Oh, uh, you know she's uh, just back home. You know, at mumbling about you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she's she's furious at all of you because you exist and you actually enjoy this, and she couldn't handle that. Uh, and that and that was her man. She just and I find myself, like I said, as we go through her house and her papers and these things, and and she just man. She was just miserable for no reason all the time. And now I, I take that lesson and I'm like, all right, well, when I get home, here we go. I'm gonna get on the bike and I'm gonna do all this stuff. And I've been wearing out the same groove in my couch for the last month and trying to climb this fucking fence, you know, and and I I have to, you know, because she was embittered and entrenched. And she loved murder shows and she loved animals. She just you know what, the one thing this this is she had just discovered TikTok. And every time we'd, she'd send me TikToks all day. Any animal, any cat doing a backflip, any bird <laughs> singing a song, she loved them and would laugh. Oh my God. She had my grandma's laugh too after a while. And it was just so that was great, you know? But then she, but then it was almost like she wouldn't let herself stay in that state and she had to find the thing to be mad at. Yeah. She, and, and, and then it didn't help that like she would get involved in the, you know, my brothers, we all have our nonsense. And like I, the thing that led to me not talking to Lenny for the longest time, we had this huge fist fight, whatever. And then, then the next night, my mom calls me and she's like, what, What's this with you and Lenny? And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. And she's like, Well, Lenny called me last night, and Vest they're talking. And I'm like, Why would he call you? Why would anybody call you? We're grown men. It's our fight. Why the. And, bud. My family has always been about I got to get those people to hear my side and on my side before the other person spills their guts and it turns into you know what I mean just survivor <laughs> and I divorced exactly and I divorced myself from that for, forever I just want nothing to do with it I've wanted nothing to do with it for a very long time I have my own bullshit to get through I can't relive and carry the childhood baggage I had forever you know it's just it's just the, and I know we're talking more about me I don't mean to but but no. You know. well, that- we want to talk about my mom. What am I talking about?
0: I would like to talk about her in a vacuum, with no <laughs> relation to you and no effect on your life, Mike. And you've ruined that. You have ruined my desire for a hermetically sealed look at your mom. This
1: is why I haven't been back in ten years. Even though, oh my God, I could have filled so much time. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, buddy, thank you for for coming and uh, getting vulnerable and. You know just being my my friend, um, it's amazing when I think about what you've gone through as a as a kid, um, how accessible you are emotionally to me as a as a friend that we're able to have serious conversations and vulnerable conversations and and you let your guard down in those in those moments. And it to me that takes friendship to another level.
1: Well, I you're, I'm honored that you would ask me to be on, and uh, you know I am going to I, cut
0: you out, but the stuff about your mom's great. <laughs> well,
1: that's fine. Yeah, go ahead and, and mute the rest. Um, well, then I'll leave. I'll put a button on it. I, I you know I wrote an obituary for my mom, and I didn't want to write the typical newspaper bullshit. I didn't you know because I didn't know how honestly, truthfully, and I, and she she was extraordinary. And yet, ordinary. I I don't, I don't, you know, a lot of people can romanticize people in death and say, oh, they were this and the best and the greatest and stuff. And, you know, my mom was extremely complicated. And there were levels and levels and levels. And, but, but in truth, I think that her story could be any, any woman's story, any single mother's story, any abused woman's story. And regardless of the levels of anger and deceit and how her kids turned out or didn't turn out. My mom's final story is a story of triumph because she was not extraordinary. She just fucking fought super hard for what she wanted. And what she wanted was to make sure her kids didn't go anywhere. Now, whether that was to keep us and punish us, I don't have any idea, <laughs> but my mom was a fucking badass and and that if anybody takes anything from this, it's that it's that my mom was exhausting and relentless and but it's because she did it in the beginning with all the good intentions to keep us together, mm-hmm. and all of her weaknesses led to strengths because. Yeah. Her aggressiveness, her all of all of that led to her being the patent of the family and the leader of the gang. And and
0: yeah, I mean, f- you know, ferocity can be a benefit, she was right? a, but sometimes not she, being able to turn it <laughs> off.
1: Yeah, well, that's the thing is you would see that other side of it. Like I said, when we got older, and she would slam cabinets, and you'd just be sitting there in silence. And and you know, she, you just didn't you didn't want to make her mad or or sad or. That was another thing, I think, prevailing in all of my brothers. I think a lot of us have lived our lives in service of trying to make sure she was happy when there was never any chance that she was going to be happy. And eventually you just kind of have to realize that.
0: Uh, Mike has a a podcast that he's been doing since, what, 07, 08? 08. Uh, Called The 40-Year-Old Boy. And uh, if you you like good storytelling... um, Check it out because Mike is uh, one of the most gifted storytellers that uh, that I've ever I've ever heard.
1: Well, you've been unbelievably supportive. You've come to see me live, and and you've always had kind things to say. And knowing how much I respect you and your talent, it's it it means quite a bit. And I love you. Thank
0: love you. Love you too, buddy. You know, if you if you're lucky enough to go through life and even even just have one friend that you can be open and vulnerable with it i don't know about you but it really helps quiet my mind because it it silences that part of my brain that is like i'm not doing life right but when i am fortunate enough to be able to have a vulnerable emotional conversation with a friend i feel like that's why i was put here on earth um We have links to uh, all of Mike's social media and his podcast and all of that stuff on the show notes for, uh, for this episode.
1: Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts.
0: edu slash podcast. Let's dive into some surveys. We got a new survey called the voice in your head. And this is, uh, <laughs> you know, you know that this guy's voice in his head is going to be super positive. Uh, he calls himself overreacting a loser. And uh, he writes waters uh, to the question, what are some of the things you tell yourself about yourself? And he writes, apparently I like to remind myself constantly of the horrible things I said or did in the past. I'm in my 40s now and still my brain tries to make me feel bad about things things i said to others in kindergarten oh my god it also reminds me of all the things i was the recipient of and logically that means i deserved it all because i was once mean to another person i'm a boring person otherwise which is why i cannot talk to family or friends and most of my conversation ends up with myself which is how i discovered how boring i am i told me uh but oh most of my conversation ends with myself um But none of this matters because other people have it worse, so I'm just a whiny bitch who can't handle life. Oh, and I'm fat and my wife secretly hates me. (laughs) Oh, buddy. Sending you some love, man. Sending you some love. This is also from the Voice in Your Head survey filled out by Ems, and she writes, uh, Tell myself I'm a bad mother, hopeless, unmotivated, I'll die alone with 12 dogs who will eventually eat my face. I'm a fraud. Just a matter of time before they all find out. Shh. Where, first of all, 12 dogs. Are you saying, no, I think she's hypothetically saying that she'll have 12 dogs. Maybe she doesn't have 12 dogs. If she has 12 dogs right now, um, that I got to say, if you do die, that's an, that's not enough to go around. Where do dogs, if dogs are gonna eat you when you die, how long until they cross that line? Does it start with a little nose nippling? Maybe they start with a big toe and work their way up. This is uh, from Delia and she writes, uh, some of the things you tell yourself about yourself, you're doing the best you can. Oh. High fucking five. High fucking five. Is that an outdated term now? High five? I think it is. Uh, Pinky asks in the Ask Paul Anything survey, you often mention that you've suffered with depression and you describe your struggles with compulsive negative thinking, but I don't remember you mentioning a struggle with anxiety. Do you have anxiety? And if you do, how does it manifest itself? It manifests. Yes, I do struggle with anxiety, and I never used to think that I was an anxious person. But um, I think one of the things that triggers anxiety in me is perfectionism because it keeps me frozen in fear of committing a mistake, and then I get anxious because I feel like I'm three seconds, you know, behind where the universe wants me to be and then i'm always playing catch up so it's not a you know my knees bouncing up and down my hands are shaking i'm having a panic panic attack it's just a sense of um not being able to find a kind of an inner stillness or you know a consistent a consistent aligning with uh I don't know, it sounds so new-agey, the frequency of the universe. But man, when I do get there, like when I'm in a support group meeting or I'm talking with a friend like Mike, it's it just goes away. And I don't think I realized I was an anxious person until I felt the opposite of it in recovery in my 40s. And I was like, holy fuck. So this is what they mean by slowing down and letting go. This is an awfulsome moment filled out by Chris, and he writes, After 40 weeks of pregnancy with our first child, we were concerned about a lack of fetal movement and went to the hospital. Looking at the ultrasound screen they wheeled into the room, the nurse pointed out our son had no heartbeat and we had lost him. Reality took on a nightmare dream quality from then on, and surprisingly, we were told we would still proceed with a normal delivery. My wife delivered our beautiful son the next morning after a night of tears, fitful semi-sleep, and bad dreams. We then endured the achingly bittersweet time of saying hello and goodbye to our little boy. We sat in shock in the recovery room after, not even beginning to process what we had just gone through. A commercial came on for a baby doll. Baby alive, it explained it exclaimed. It opens its eyes. We couldn't help but laugh at the dark absurdity of it and decided to change the channel. We've developed a very dark sense of humor as a coping mechanism and we've always found a way to laugh through this intense trauma. I honestly believe it's the only way we survived and found the strength to keep moving forward. It's now a year and a half later, and after a terrifying second pregnancy, we got to bring home our second son, safe and healthy. We've come a long way towards healing, and my wife and I are closer than ever. I have to give the universe some credit for having such a fucked-up, perfect, comedic timing. Oh my God, if, if that is not the definition of awfulsome. And I love that you and your wife grew closer together, because... From what I understand, a lot of the time, when people lose a child, um, the it it drives people apart. And um, wow, wow, so moving, so moving, and so fucked up. This is from the struggle in a sentence survey, and this one is. Uh, A bit graphic. This was, uh, or at least a snapshot from her life is a bit graphic. Well, not a bit graphic, very graphic. And this is filled out by Jessie Darling. And about her depression, she writes, Like my mind and soul are dying, but my body hasn't caught up yet. Wow. About her ADD, what it must be like being a squirrel. About her anxiety, starts with being drug out by a tide, then drowning in the open ocean only to find out it was a dream. About being a sex crime victim, walking around with parts forever taken, and those holes are filled with vengeance and rage that only get calmed with drugs. And then a snapshot from her life, and this is the part that's graphic. I'm 13, and this older girl, I assume that she is looking back uh, on this, Uh, I'm 13, and this older girl in my apartment complex, she was 15, asked if we could have people over because my dad was out for the night playing music. Only boys came, all over 18, and booze. I got blacked out and went to lay down. Then I was woken up in so much pain. One of them was putting his pants on and the other on top, trying to stick his dick in my mouth, then stuck it inside of me. I freaked out. Everyone laughed. Everyone laughed. I passed back out. My father came home and lit me up because of the mess but failed to notice the mess his daughter was. Bloody sheets crumpled in the corner and dried blood down the legs. I never told him. When I went to school Monday, sixth grade, two older boys came up saying, we know what happened. You wanted it. You asked for it. So if you tell anyone about it, we will tell everyone. I guess one of them had a brother. I never knew who they knew and why they were so angry at me. I left th- my body that night and haven't been back since. Wow. Wow. Sammy just been in love and I... I I really hope that you're reaching out for for support because that is a fuck of a lot for one soul to take on by themselves. This is from the Love Survey filled out by Gramps as having another beer for breakfast. And they write, "Uh, I love grilled cheese sandwiches, especially with a hot sauce on the side. I love total silence when I'm working on a new project. I love that month where I'd get three paydays instead of the usual two. I love a big, curvy woman, even better if she's polite. I love going to a concert, and everyone seated near me is not a fucking chatterbox. <laughs> I love looking at items from the 70s on auction sites. I love learning a new, useful skill that requires no more than a three-hour investment of my time. I love that feeling of... This could be the one right after purchasing a lottery ticket. Oh, that is a fantastic one. I love posting things on my anonymous Twitter account that give hints as to who I am, and I love posting things that would totally throw off anyone who might know me. Oh, those are great. Thank you for those. This is from uh, the Struggle in a Sentence survey filled out by... Uh, a guy who calls himself give me love or leave me be and uh, he's in his 20s and about his PTSD he writes this summer I was shot at for the first time in my 27 years of living it confused me and made me question my maker as to why me only because I used to live in a rural area where things like that would happen all the time but when I moved to the suburbs um, I see it Never when he lived in a uh, rural area, but when he moved to the suburbs, it, it happened. I never imagined it would ever happen to me where I'm supposed to feel safer. This incident is what caused my anxiety to develop and take over me. I'm a black male, and the kid was white. Yes, I said kid. He had some sort of mental disability and probably got a hold of one of his dad's pistols and chose me as his victim that day, even though that family has moved away from this neighborhood. I still feel the need to walk my dogs with my gun on me every day. I can't wait to move out of this apartment because all it does is give me flashbacks and makes me uncomfortable in my own home about his anger issues. I've been told I'm very soft-spoken and respectful. I've even had managers tell me, I can tell your mother raised you right. I won't say I have anger issues because it takes a lot for me to get mad, but when I do get mad, I make it my best interest to make anybody around me mad so they can feel how I feel. I guess that's my way of releasing the anger, giving it to somebody else. I've said the most hurtful things to my mom, sister, and past girlfriends that I regret so much. I honestly only remember ever getting that mad at women for some reason. I think I have some resentment towards female individuals, even though I love women at the same time. Thank you for sharing that. Fuck. I can't imagine what that feels like to be shot at. This is from the fear survey filled out by Evan, and she writes, I had, and still have to a much lesser extent, a phobia of insects. Not diagnosed, but I couldn't even look at a picture of an insect until recently. All insects, but I, yeah, Uh, all the way to butterflies. The main fear is that they will fly at my face and sting me and lay eggs in me. I have no idea why that thought scares me so much. Well the question is, where do they lay the eggs? Cause that that to me <laughs> makes a big difference. I think the worst would be the nose. Cause you got you got a couple of choices. You got you got the you got the lady part, you got the butthole, you got the ears, the nose, and the mouth. I think the nose would be the worst, although I don't know, maybe the lady part would be the worst. I think the butthole would be the easiest because you just, you know. How could people not assume you're happy if you got butterflies coming out of your ass? I suppose they could lay eggs in your eyes. I don't think I'm doing anything to make you feel better. Uh... Dragonflies are the worst, the bumpy, lumpy ones. We never used to get them where I'm from, West Ireland, but in the summer now, they fly around the back roads where I walk my dog. The first walk I went on, where I noticed them, I shuffled past as quickly as I could, holding my breath and freezing every time they swooped overhead. I did that for a little over a mile, and as soon as I got home, I dropped onto the sofa and started bawling. I don't know what caused the fear, only when it started. Somewhere between February and July of 2011. Oh, fuck. Fuck. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, all the best to you and uh, the eggs laid inside your body, <laughs> currently growing, waiting to hatch. How many likes would that get on Instagram if butterflies were just flying? your butthole this is from the fear survey filled out by uh rags to comfortable living and they write i fear no matter how well i perform or how high on the proverbial ladder i climb i will never be able to shed this imposter syndrome i fear that i will always be that impoverished child in a successful person's body I fear that I will never again know the love I had known when I was married during the good times. I fear that I will not be accepted exactly as I am because I teeter between realms. My socially liberal values always conflicting with my conservative fiscal beliefs. My extremely healthy lifestyle conflicting with my closet smoking. My poor person upbringing with my upper middle class adulthood. I fear that I will be alone for a much longer time than I want to because I need someone that can accept me as mentioned above, but I must also find them attractive. I fear that I am selfish. I fear that I am hurting male friends that I have friend-zoned, still having friendships with them while I know that they want more. Even after I clarified that I do not, I fear that I am superficial for not dating these people that accept me as I am because I am not attracted to them. I fear I am too picky. I fear that I will get older, fatter, and uglier and never have appreciated myself now, younger, beautiful, and thinner. I fear that I will always feel like I'm too fat no matter what my size is. I fear that I have lived life wrong so far. I fear I will continue to live life wrong. Oh man, that one. Holy shit. I don't know about you guys, but that one hit me right between the fucking eyes. I fear that people will always believe I am inadequate. That I will believe I am inadequate. Thank you for those. Those are awesome. This is from the Love Survey filled out by uh, by Twilight Zone, and they write, I found a book of the Rugrats Hanukkah episode recently. It means so much to me because that was the first time I saw a Jewish family on TV that I could relate to. What an awesome one. Thank you for that. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself tallest man in town. He identifies as straight. He's in his 20s, says he was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment, ever been the victim of sexual abuse uh one of the times he uh reported it and another time some stuff happened but i don't know if it counts um he writes uh do, 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 do. uh he was he was with a, uh, a woman one night and he writes we were kissing and maybe a little more when i started to black out and i came to uh several times she was on top of me saying loudly i am taking your virginity i'm not sure if i was still conscious when we started or had wanted to but i was not in the state to consent to sex ever after coming back to twice i pushed her off of me vomited in the corner of the room and ran and locked myself in a bathroom then i just wanted to get out of the house I run down the stairs and pass out outside for a period and then get a ride back to my house. My being drunk at 16 caused huge family issues, including a physical fight between family members and me being shamed by everyone and grounded for a month. I never told any of my family members about this sexual assault until this past summer when I told my parents. My parents asked if I was okay briefly, and then that was that. It was never mentioned again. I feel that this abuse may be causing some fear of my girlfriend being taken advantage of and some abandonment issues and some issues with being alone. I've had a really tough day today, and although it has not had to do with the past trauma, it really helps just vomiting these words into this survey. Thank you for sharing that. And there's so much misunderstanding around... uh, Sexual assault when uh, the perpetrator is female and the and the victim is is male. People think it's about muscular strength, and it is not. Um, He was raised in in an abusive, emotionally abusive environment where feelings were not expressed. Uh, Any positive experiences uh, with the abusers? They are my parents. They've given me so much physically, but have not met any of my emotional needs. If you've not read the book Running on Empty by Dr. Janice Webb, check it out. It's all about that and a really amazing book. Darkest Thoughts I think about cutting off my parents totally. I have thoughts about self harm, but never did anything beyond holding scissors tightly and also running to hurt myself, which is usually before running, and then after a mile or so, I hate the burning of my lungs more than I hate myself, so I stop. Darkest Secrets I have jacked off with panties of a friend's mom when I was in middle school, along with those of a cousin, quite disgusted with myself for that. I also put peanut butter on my penis one time and tried to get my dog to lick it. He would not, luckily. I have not told anyone of these things, and they are some of my greatest shames ever. They, These all have happened about 10 years ago, and they still feel so horrible to me. I want to tell my girlfriend, but she is a dog lover and is really close with her family, so I feel really nervous about feeling, telling her, even though it's been years. I am not sure if I will ever tell her. Buddy, that is nothing to be ashamed of. That is so, so common, And, um, you know, um, I just hope you can stop being so hard on yourself. Uh, I also used to do a lot of sexting, some of it pretty risky, and while I was underage. I feel pretty horrible about this, too, and try not to think about it. I do not think I hurt anyone, but maybe I did. I think I had some issues with healthy expression of sexuality in my teen years, but I'm in a loving monogamous relationship where I am sexually fulfilled without any dangerous or unhealthy behavior. Well, that's awesome, man. That is awesome. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. To be completely dominated by a woman that cannot control herself. I think I would like a rape replay where I can have a more positive replay of that experience. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? to tell my girlfriend about some of my shames. I am not sure if I will, but I love being almost completely honest with her, but feel bad about not, not telling her this and the sex thing. Well, what about running it, it, it by a therapist um, before you share it with her? What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish to feel loved constantly, as I often struggle with a feeling of being unlovable and not good enough for my current partner. I also wish to come to grips with my jealousy that comes from my feelings of inadequacy and loneliness. I want to be in a committed relationship that I am not scared that the other person will break up with me at all times. I want a job in a field I do not morally disagree with. Uh, I am uh, very far left and have a job on Wall Street. That's going to be a challenge. I would also like to start seeing a counselor. Have you shared these things with others? Yes, mostly with my girlfriend and close friends, and it went really well. I also used to tell people about my sexual assault, thinking it was cool to lose your virginity, and then recently would tell people I did not even know uh, that well to normalize it. Uh, I am quite happy I no longer do this. How do you feel after writing these things down? I feel much better. I've had a really tough day and this was a perfect way to feel heard. My girlfriend has something today and I can't talk to her and gotten in a negative thought spiral that was really bringing me down. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? And these, this is all in caps. You are not alone. Find those people that will listen to you without judgment. If you look around and do not see this quality of the people around you, it might be worth re-examining some of these relationships. Amen, brother. And thank you for filling filling that out and going deep. Going to all those icky memories, man. It's so hard. It's so easy to lock them away. And then finally, this is uh, from the love survey filled up by Rosie. And uh, she writes, I love when I'm driving and another car coming towards me flashes their lights to warn me there's a speed camera up ahead. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not a lover of speeding, but that gesture from a stranger really reminds me there are people out there watching out for each other, good people. And it reminds me if I ever got into trouble in public, there would probably be someone who would come over and offer me help as I would to others. Those flashing headlights help me feel connected to those strangers and their cars for once. I love when it's time to change the blade on my razor and I push the teeny tiny buttons in on the side and pop. Off comes the old razor, such a satisfying feeling. Then the new one so perfectly clicks into position. I don't know how, uh, I don't know I love, I don't love how for the next few days my legs are a bleeding mess is i can't shave with a fresh razor but hey it's worth it i'm not sure which i love more using the last tea bag from the box or opening a new box okay i guess i love them both and it doesn't need to be a competition In the parentheses damn my childhood i love when i plug my phone in to charge just in time when it has just the tiniest charge like a percent or so left and in that moment i feel like a hero I love when I don't get triggered by something as much as I used to, and the hours and hours of therapy seem, in that moment, to work. Like when someone says something which, not too long ago, would have sent me into a massive, complex PTSD self-hate spiral. Whereas, instead, I use some of the tools I've learned, and they work, and I just float on past the events almost like I'm hovering above and I can almost see the alternative reaction I would have made in the past playing out below before my eyes whilst the new Rosie just carries on with her day. I love when my daughter says something back to me which shows some of the lessons I've been trying to teach her have worked. Things that I wasn't taught in my childhood like just yesterday I was trying to park my car and for some reason I just couldn't get it to line up to the lines. And I kept my cool and just kept trying as my little girl was watching from the back seat. I really work hard to model being okay at being imperfect to her. So anyway, as I'm pulling back and forth, she asked what's going on, and I explained, I'm just finding it a bit tricky to park right now. She said, you're still learning, Mum. That's okay. Just take your time. Not in a way like she felt she had to parent me, because believe me, I'm very mindful of protecting her from that burden. It was just a calm matter of fact, second nature observation, and I was so freaking proud of both of us in that moment. And then this one's hard to read. Finally, I love you, Paul. I love everything your podcast stands for. I love how much it has taught me about myself and about communities. I have no day-to-day life interaction with such as the transgender community and the bipolar community along with the importance of dogs' buttholes and any butthole for that matter. Thank you, Paul. You are loved. Well, that means a lot to me and those are awesome, awesome loves. And, um... Yeah, you get down to it. It's really all about the butthole. You can pretend it's otherwise. But eventually, (laughs) caterpillars are going to lay eggs in your butthole and your dogs are going to eat your nose. And there's nothing you can do about it. So God bless. (laughs) And now I cast you to hell. Is Is that a good way to end the episode? Anyway, I hope you I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I hope uh, if you haven't yet, please take the surveys, especially the awful moments and the loves. Um, I love the uh, and the happy moments. I, I, I love the the moments of laughter where uh, where where we can get them. And uh, if you're out there and you're you're feeling alone, you're not you're not. There's help all around us. We just got to find our people. And uh, never forget,
1: you're not alone.